Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Episode 77 of District of Conservation. This is your host, Gabriella Hoffman. Today we are joined by Abby Casey, who runs AC Outdoors and is a Jill of All Trades. Abby and I first became connected sometime last year through our mutual friend, Lexi Quinn. And just, I realized we had so many mutual connections with our membership in Poma. Abby won a broadcast award in 2018 under the Poma Pinnacle banner. I won it last year for conservation. And we just have a lot of overlap in the industry. And I, I figured we were due for a chat Abby has worked with many different brands across the years, most notably with Realtree Outdoors, Rated Red, where she served as a host, and more recently, she has been working with Browning as an ambassador and also with Air Gun Depot, among the many, many different companies she works with or has worked with. I think you're going to find our conversation to be very interesting. She oozes a lot of positivity. I just love what she had to say about how people can traverse the outdoor industry. She offered some tips on what she's doing to stay active in wake of the coronavirus pandemic. She gave some pearls of wisdom for anyone looking to become an outdoor communicator. And we just talked about the great outdoors and why young people like us, especially young women, are so drawn to the industry. Here's our conversation with Abby. I hope you like it. Abby, thank you so much for joining District of Conservation. I'm really excited to be chatting with you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here as well. Could you talk about the genesis of your outdoor journey and how you got interested in the outdoor industry? I think people will find that to be really compelling, judging by what people have seen on social media. You've attracted quite a big following, and I think people would love to hear kind of how you started and, and what led you to kind of take this up as an occupation working in the outdoor yeah, industry. Absolutely. Um, well, like many of us, uh, people in our family that are interested in the outdoors kind of like lure you in and <laughs> get you hooked on that. And uh, for me, that was my dad and my great aunt and uncle um, getting me in the outdoors and starting me off hunting and fishing at a young age. And from then on, I just wanted to be a little wild Indian running around. <laughs> <laughs> so taking a normal desk job was like never an option. Um, and I was in Columbus, Georgia at the time living and going to college. And I ran into Bill Jordan, of all people, at a restaurant and uh ran up to him and asked him for a job as an internship, and he gave it to me that day. <laughs> so there I was uh, the first time trying to get a job in my career and ran into Bill Jordan of Realtree Outdoors. Um, stayed there for a handful of years in the video department and uh, got picked up by, a, uh, what would you call it, a startup, a startup company uh, called Rated Red. Stayed there for two or three years before uh, I left there and made my own journey into creating a marketing company. And uh, now here I am. 
Yeah, yeah, you you've done a lot and you've received a lot of accolades. You've gotten a top 40 under 40 for Shot Show and I think you told me you're still waiting on that result. Yeah. You're nominated for that. You are a Browning ambassador. You've been working with different air gun companies. Talk about how you kind of morphed into the social media and lifestyle specialist for various different outdoor brands and what you currently are working on. Right. So as a as seeing a need for somebody to push out this authentic content. Cause I think for a minute there in the outdoor industry, it kind of got overwhelmed with things that I would say are not so authentic. And I really wanted to fill that space with creating well-made content and things that are perceived well in the industry. And that's led me into working in the air gun side. Um, it's, I've fallen into working with Browning, which has been absolutely amazing. That's That was like a dream. I mean, <laughs> as a kid, I shot Browning guns, and uh, it's just cool to be able to work with them and see the behind the scenes and uh, be a part of that brand. It's just a dream come true. Um, and working with all the other brands in the marketing space is you just never know what you're going to get into. I mean, one day we'll be fishing, one day we'll be shooting, uh, you know, like we went hang gliding one day. You just never know <laughs> where you're going to end up on the spectrum of the outdoor lifestyle. Yeah. And you seem to cover the whole spectrum and you do like chainsawing and motorcycling and <laughs> all this different stuff that people will wouldn't think women would take an interest in what led you to pick up those kind of elements of uh, outdoor activities? Yeah. Um, well, some people call it a weakness and some people call it a strength. Uh, I'm definitely not a master of anything, but I can do a lot of different stuff. Um, getting into the motorcycle world was, is fairly new. I started riding probably three or four years ago. Uh, that's been incredible. It takes you many different places and it also puts you in uh, proximity of like the most badass people ever. <laughs> like I've been to Nepal uh, in the Himalayas riding and then out here in the West, uh, really amazing women that are just super independent and get out there and hit the road. Um, chainsaw carving is kind of another fluke thing. Uh, one of uh, my buddies back in the East, good friend of my dad's, uh, got into chainsaw carving and started a fun um, fundraiser, a really large, uh, turned into a really large thing for cystic fibrosis where they chainsaw carve and then whatever they make over the weekend, they auction it off. And that's called the Chaptacular and it's down in Georgia. They ho host it like once a year in the fall. Uh, if you have a chance to go to that, it's absolutely spectacular. They have over 50 international carvers from all around the world show up in that little bitty town uh, in Georgia. And one day I, uh, it, I was working at Realtree at the time and they wanted to do a video on the charity event. So just went down there, did a little chainsaw carving video and that bug kind of stuck with me. That's really cool. Yeah. Because I have uh, a friend of mine has expressed to me she wants to do kind of similar stuff. And I was like, yeah, some a gal that I'm connected to does it. And I said, of course, like women can can do that type of stuff. And it's it's just so unique. And I think for you to kind of be and, and you in general, I mean, anyone uh, to be, I think, successful in the outdoor industry. And we'll talk more about, I think, women in the outdoor industry, too. I think that's always a good conversation to have. But uh, you should be very multifaceted and not just be like, okay, I just do a hunting portfolio, fishing portfolio. I think why your brand sticks out a lot is because you you absorb these other niche areas and kind of 
add a human touch to it and a feminine touch to it and say like, yeah, you could do this and it's really cool. And it's according to my lifestyle. I'm not just doing this for whatever I'm, I'm doing this cause I enjoy this and it's something I'm interested in. And, uh, it could inspire more people to, to take up those hobbies too, I think. Yeah. And putting that out there and showing that you, women can do those types of things. Cause let me tell you, I see it all the time when I go to these, whatever kind of convention it is, if it's like a woodworking thing or a motorcycle thing. Um, and if it's not women specific, you see these girls and they're terrified to come in because it's a male dominated industry with any of that and kind of being that face and, um, being that hand to reach out and say, Hey, it's okay to be here. There are women in the industry, um, that can help you along with this. And it's not, just all dudes. Um, yes. <laughs> and finding those girls um, and helping those girls out has always been really important to me. Um, and I'm sure for you as well. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I mean, because women are the fastest demographic in shooting sports and hunting, bow hunting, fly fishing, mm-hmm. all these different uh, sectors of the outdoor industry. So it is true. And, and motorcycle weird. and motorcycle yeah. riding. Yeah. They are the largest growing demographic in the motorcycle industry, Crazy. taking that's, over that's everything. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, like we certainly are something that's kind of more current. I wanted to get your thoughts on this because uh, there's a lot of challenges to going to the outdoors. Now you probably have seen across the country that some states, not every state, but some have put on restrictions on recreational boating, uh, access to public lands to hunt just because, I mean, certainly you you should take certain precautions, especially uh, to limit mass crowdedness and things of that sort. But how are you tackling and overcoming the challenges to obviously kind of coronavirus limitations to outdoor opportunities that are still able to go outdoors? And what recommendations do you have for people uh, who want to get outdoors, but still follow, you know, social distancing and, and practicing safe stuff. I feel like right. you'd be a good authority on this. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, I will give you the best advice I can. <laughs> yes. The So coming from the East, I, I'm from Georgia and then living in the West. I've, as you know, in the East, there's not as much public land. I, so I feel really bad for my friends that are out there and they can't like really get out unless you have a private piece of land that you could go to. But in the West, there's just tons of it. And there are some hot spots that you want to stay away from. I know a lot of the hot springs out here and a lot of the gathering areas, like you mentioned with the boat ramps, um, those are places that I've been avoiding. And they've actually put in some pretty steep fines for a lot of these areas where people were gathering thinking, oh, this is just going to be a holiday. I'm going to go out in the woods and chill at a hot spring until this all blows over. Well, no, that's still a gathering area. And, um, you know, the law enforcement, they are, they know that. (laughs) So they are giving out really big tickets for these areas. So getting in those remote areas, um, I think, and still being safe, maybe pull up your Onyx map or whatever it may be to help you find some locations that you think that may not be as populated, um, getting out and doing that, but still staying away from people. If you're on the river, don't, and this is just common courtesy, yeah. if you're out there fly fishing, don't be right up next to somebody. Exactly. So this is a perfect chance to uh, participate in uh, proper, what would you call it, uh, fly fishing at pit. There yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're getting out and still doing all of that stuff. We're just staying away from the more popular areas. And, you know, there are a lot of people out there right now just trying to get out and just trying to get out of their stir crazy uh mood or whatever it is. And I've seen a lot more people out in the woods, but staying away from them has been a huge priority. 
That's good. And in lieu of this, you've had quite a successful year of hunting. I think you mentioned to me that you killed your first elk and your first antelope. And something you're looking to do is get a grand slam for turkeys. How is that going? Yeah. So this year was an emotional roller coaster as it typically is with elk hunting. I've been hunting elk for like three or four years now. And it just all came together finally on the last day of the season. And finally, finally, finally got my first elk. Holy cow. It was, I mean, there was some ugly crying. I'm not going to (laughs) lie, but, um, yeah, with the turkey hunting this year, that's been completely halted except for, um, I think I am going to try to get a Miriam in Idaho this year, or maybe Montana, if they're going to let me cross over the borders. And <laughs> cause I know that they're talking about quarantining people if you, if they see you cross over the border, but. Oh yeah. The stay at home orders just, will be enforced. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, there are some places near where I think I can get back where it would almost be in hiking distance. So I could like walk over and cross over into some public land and hunt there. Um, and that's the last one I have is my Miriam. I'm trying to, trying to get it for the past two years. Uh, what was it two years ago or three years ago? I almost got the full grand slam in a couple in like a month period. Um, and that's just the last one I've got. I can't get my Miriam and I'm right here in the heart of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think a monkey wrench has been thrown onto a lot of us. I was looking I was looking forward to going turkey hunting, but I mean, uh, I've I've found ways to navigate the private land access issues. There is a company I've worked with and I featured here on the podcast and in other uh, spaces that does a really good job. You should look into outdoor access if you want to try private land, uh, especially in this day and age, especially with the changing circumstances. Uh, But yeah, I think a lot of us will have to make sacrifices. But if you do get your turkey, I will be on the lookout for that. That should be really cool if if you're (laughs) able to do that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm hoping I will. But, you know, the the social distancing and staying inside is definitely taking priority over a turkey. So, yeah, it's better to be safe so we can hunt turkeys down the road or any animal. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Than to, to, you know, be in any harm's way. It's inconvenient. And I've had friends like ask me, come shad fishing with me. I'm like, I'm not going out of my house or far away from my house. I don't want to go like and expose myself. God forbid, you know, if someone may be carrying it in this region. So yeah, it's uh, something I think all of us have to do, make a little bit of sacrifices, but still be able to enjoy the outdoors. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. I want to ask you about content creation because you've done a lot of things. You've served as a host, obviously for Rated Red and you're creating cool videos. What is your type of favorite content to create? Do you like uh, hosting? Do you do more behind the scenes stuff? And it's, I think it's encouraging to see more women kind of be behind the brains of creating content. Cause I've taken the t- uh, kind of mantle of wanting to be more behind the scenes of like phot- phot- photographing and video making. And I think that's a really essential skill to have more skills like that. But uh, what's your, what's your kind of uh, methodology behind creating content? Do you like interfacing directly and behind the scenes or prefer one or the other? And what kind of content can people look out for you from you, excuse me, for the upcoming year? Yeah, for sure. The, um, well, Getting my start at Realtree, I'm so glad I started off in the video department there because those um, essential building blocks of learning what it is to video has helped me so much in um, in the now for understanding, like, if you are hosting, 
understanding the angles and how you can help your camera person and also be a producer at the same time. I know a lot of us uh, in the outdoor industry are a producer, a host, the camera person, all bundled up in one. And that just makes you a hundred times more valuable to anybody that you're going to work for. Understanding, Understanding every facet there is to understand about media and production. Just, I mean, that's what I would say for anybody that's looking to get into it is work behind the camera first and then, you know, become a host if that's what you want to do, if you want to be in front of the camera, but it's just going to help you in the long run, understanding all of those. Um, I, th- I was a host for Rated Red for a while, but what people didn't know, I guess, is that I was also um, producing a lot of the outdoor content for the, for that um outlet as well and trying to find meaningful content with bringing an entertainment factor as well. So when I'm looking at creating a piece of content, the the first thing I ask myself is what the heck am I trying to say? And is this going to better the world in any kind of way? Um, or are you going to learn something from it? Like that's the first thing I ask myself when I'm looking down, trying to produce something and Um, the entertainment factor of it is always like a secondary thing for me. Um, Even though I do try to mix in some things that are kind of mindless, like on social media, I think that's an appropriate place to throw something up. For example, I did a video of the bottle cap challenge with my fly rod. Um, I don't think you really learned anything with that, but uh, that's just an appropriate place to to throw something like that up. But um, most of the video content that I make, I try to make it informational and um, learning something from that. Yeah, it it should have some impact and some value, but you can have fun and be lighthearted without being, I would say, how how would you put it, Um, without being too vapid? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, you watch any of the Raid Red stuff. There's a lot <laughs> of silly content in that, but that's just working for a company that, you know, <laughs> they want you to do these things. Like we did the hot chip challenge or whatever that was. Uh, pretty sure my taste buds never recovered from that video. But uh, no. for my personal brand, I try to make it more informative and but also lighthearted as well mixed into it. Add your personality. That's going to make it more authentic. And that's the ultimate goal is be yourself and be authentic in whatever it is that you're doing. Those are good words of advice. What are your thoughts on influencer marketing and kind of the greater conversation with that in the outdoor industry? What, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, is it being done well? Uh, Cause I, I think in, in terms of what you do, you're a good example of like an influencer, but you're, you're not just someone who's touting products. You're just being, informative and you're using your platform to educate, but some people may consider you an influence. And I think you, you do the good track of uh, influencing, but what's your thought on kind of that niche of marketing? And do you think it's sustainable in the long run for the outdoor industry? Has it kind of peaked? Is it still left to be done with it or what are your general thoughts on it? Yeah. So I think influencers and ambassadors is a strange world now. I mean, who would have thought 20, I mean, 20 years ago, we didn't even have a word for that. It's so silly. Um, and it's so strange that now this is what's kind of driving all of marketing now. And uh, it's such a large part of our life. I don't think the creators of Facebook and Twitter and all the other platforms ever thought that this was what was going to happen with the world <laughs> when they made those platforms. Um so it's interesting to see where it will go. I I don't think it there's an accurate way to depict or even forecast of where it's going to be. Um, 
everything's just changing so fast. But one trend that I do see happening in the influencer ambassador world is um, micro influencers seem to be becoming more of a thing. Like these giant, these companies have been marketing with these massive influencers. I have like millions of followers or whatnot. And when, when I look at those people and I think the average person is looking at those major influencers are kind of almost have like a celebrity status and they're not relatable say to like a, a normal person that has somewhere in the more in the range of 10k or below followers so I've seen a shift in these big companies start to gather these micro influencers and because people are more trusting I think to somebody that has a smaller following they're going to be more relatable they're they're going to say what they think and they're not going to be as a hard sell kind of person unless I don't want to say less trustworthy but more I guess uh, less relatable than say a person that has a million followers so that's something I've seen I've noticed that too uh just because people realize they can't be shelling out hundreds of thousands of dollars for a single post. It's not sustainable (laughs) for the bottom line. And that's the crazy thing too, right? Yeah. All of this stuff is the land of make believe. I think it's hilarious that I, I mean, half my life is taken up by something that's totally made up and has totally (laughs) just popped up out of the ground in the past 10 to 15 years. (laughs) Yeah. It has some positives and negatives, but I would like to say when it's done correctly the positives far outweigh the negatives like i think there's there's a case to be made that it is still relevant and obviously it has its quirks and problems and uh sometimes you can't verify if someone is a real influencer they may buy their followers they may resort to phishing practices uh but yeah I, i i do agree and i've seen this for like a year or so about the burgeoning kind of emergence of micro influencers because people they're kind of more attuned to their audience uh mm-hmm. people kind of listen to them a bit more and I think there could be more uh, clicks that can happen, more uh, completions of the funnel, as we know in marketing. When mm-hmm. you when you when you click through and you go through with the process, I think people kind of trust or have been entrusting micro influencers with that kind of responsibility to have more click throughs and, and funnel completions. Yeah, and I exactly what you're saying, and having that. Um, relatability to that person and feeling like you could message them and you're probably going to get a response as a, if you see a product on their page and you message and be like, Hey, what do you think about this? That person's probably going to be more likely to talk to you than say, uh, I don't know, somebody that has a million followers and they probably just got paid $200,000 to put a bar of soap on their page. <laughs> that is so true. Very, very true. I want to kind of segue into something that I, I think uh, people would like to to learn, because uh, in the industry, we all have kind of our pet projects and issues that we focus on. But kind of what are some issues and causes that make you passionate to to get involved, uh, kind of pull up the heartstrings for you and really make you like wake up charged to take on the day? Uh, what issues kind of resonate with you in the conservation space that may get underreported or glossed over or something that you know is kind of universally appealing to people what issues kind of sing to you uh, in this day and age in the conservation space and outdoor what industry? A, what a great question <laughs> it's like you're an interviewer or something <laughs> um, <laughs> um okay well let me think about that in the conservation world in the outdoor world well i guess one of the main reasons why i choose to stay in this is it's my passion and one of my the biggest parts of my passion is 
getting the right information out and also portraying, I think, what is the true spirit of the outdoors and stewardship um, and practicing those things. And one of one of uh, a big piece of my job is managing several influencers. So I feel like getting certain content out to them and getting certain information and letting them um, push that out on their pages and showing, I'd say, like the, the right way to do things like talking about conservation and showing picking up trash off the ground, something small like that. And being able to be at the forefront of that and showing that somebody that maybe has never been in the outdoors, that's going to see that and be like, Oh my gosh, okay. This is what being a steward of the outdoors or being an outdoorsman or woman looks like. And because that's basically what we're doing is we're pushing out advertisements and pushing out the lifestyle for people Um, to see what it's supposed to be and to understand what that is and bringing on the next generation or bringing in that newcomer and getting them on the right path for understanding what it's supposed to be instead of just like something that's, um, I don't know, kind of materialistic or whatever it may be and just posting on social media about, oh, I, I shot my bow today. Let's see how many likes I can get. It's not about that at all. It's about conservation, stewardship, and pushing out the right message. Do you have any particular organizations that you like and want to encourage people to support? Anything that kind of uh, interests you? Yeah. um, Well, I guess being from the South and being from Georgia, a really big one is QDMA, Quality Deer Management Association. My heartstrings have always I, I love whitetails. I mean, that's what I grew up on. Um, and, and the NWTF, turkeys, the turkey, turkey brain. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, let's see. Yeah, those are really my two big ones right now. So That's good. Yeah, they're, they're great groups. Uh, no doubt about it. But yeah, the, I think um, what I try to do, and I, I hope more people do this too, and it's not just because I'm doing this, but I like your angle too as well, that I think that people can see – uh, different dimensions to conservation rather than uh, showing your kill or, you know, shooting the bow to get likes, as you had mentioned. I love like any in time, whenever I report, like I love talking about elk recovery efforts in Virginia. It's something that nobody really talks about except for those of us in the space in this, in the state or in the greater like Rocky mountain elk foundation kind of conversation. But it's like it's it's so fascinating to see just different elements coming together and seeing these creatures thrive. And I think it's so important to showcase that beyond, you know, I got this or I got that. Uh, Yeah, And you don't want to. And people I see a lot of times being super anti liberal or anti um, like kind of like the PETA person or whatever that figure may be in your head. I don't know. Um, (laughs) I've never had the approach of like. Uh, that person I've always been like come over here and let me talk to you for a second (laughs) let's let's show them the right way to do this yeah absolutely so as to not alienate because what was it I just saw that one million new gun owners have Mm -hmm. just been recorded and actually a lot of them are not your conventional gun owner who is you know a conservative republican which I fit into uh but it's fascinating to see you know in in kind of these trying times you see people who would never take up guns uh, suddenly take an interest and maybe awaken to it. And I certainly think people should, of all stripes, you know, come in and learn and enjoy. Yeah, having that open-minded, mm-hmm. having that open-minded mentality 
is huge. And that's something that I'm a real big believer in. Um, if there's somebody that's on the fence about it, I always invite them to go hunting with me or take them to the range and show them, Hey, this is the way it is. And we're not all just a bunch of crazy rednecks. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. We can be educated and refined as well, (laughs) but it's fun to be a little redneck too. (laughs) Yeah. I might talk slow, but that don't mean I'm slow. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. That is so true. What would you have to say to kind of the newcomer or someone who is interested in maybe more formally joining the outdoor industry, starting a communications hub, um, maybe interested in pursuing a career? What steps do you think people should take today? Is it more challenging? Are there more roadblocks? And uh, what recommendations do you have for people who may be interested in joining our crazy sphere? <laughs> fun sphere. Crazy is fun. Sphere. Well, right. <laughs> well, uh, take it in strides. Um, there's a lot of people that have been in this industry for many, many, many years and um, trying to maybe find a mentor. I think it's really important to find somebody that maybe you could follow under their wing and learn learn from them and uh Wherever that may be. I, for me, like I said, I got my start in the video side at Realtree, and those guys there were just tremendous in helping me along and getting my feet up underneath me. And from there, that just launched me straight into the rest of my career. But always keeping in mind, you don't have to be somebody you're not. Um, whatever it is you're trying to do in the industry, for me, it was hosting and producing and social media. And because um, there, there is a I think it easy and people try to be things that they're not like, Oh, I'm going to be the next Cameron Haynes. And I have to be this to be in the industry. No, you don't, you don't have to be that person. That's extreme. And if you're going to be something you're not, you're not going to end up in a place that's authentic and you're just going to be like, Oh, why am I here? (laughs) And this is not who I am. And um, so back to all that, I know I've mentioned it several times being doing what you love and being patient. And it's a really great industry to be in. There are so many fantastic people. And um, I really haven't run into too many roadblocks with people not being willing to help or um, at least speak to you and give you some kind of advice. Because we're all in this together. And we're all most of the people that I've seen in this industry are in it because it's their passion. So people are generally happy and willing to help. <laughs> They really are. And so many people, because for me, I've been like a lifelong angler and hunting is kind of new to me for the last few years. And I've had people generously take me under their wing to go into the field, show me the ropes. Like a lot of my excursions have been more educational because we haven't seen uh, our intended targets or I've taken missed shots. No harm, no foul, thankfully. But a lot of it is educational. There are so many people who are like, yes, let me take you hunting. So it is, it's very true that you can find people who are willing, if you show the willingness and are respectful, of course, uh, to take you under their wing, especially to go out in the field. And I think even for career wise too. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's the way it should be. I mean, we should be bringing in more people all the time. I mean, it's a, it's kind of scary how many, how more urban everything is becoming and we are losing a lot of people and this new generation i it's just so important to portray what we are doing as something is accepting and cool and fun and getting that information out that's right that we've said several times and uh not putting roadblocks in front of them because they're the people that's going to be running it here pretty soon yeah and especially with the challenge of replacing 
hunters as numbers continue to diminish. It's something the industry has been focusing on, on how to replenish the numbers and get new people and make it sustainable uh, just because so many hunters are aging out and they're not passing it on. I've, I've talked to a number of people who said, you know, I like hunting and fishing, but my kids and grandkids don't like it. I'm like, what? What am I listening to? This is sad. These are people in the urban areas more so that I've talked to and a little bit in the outskirts of the city, too. But, yeah, it's kind of sad that people do not or maybe just their kids were not interested and they wanted to move to the city. I know it's heartbreaking and it's extremely concerning. <laughs> it's something that me and you will be, uh, I think, dealing with in our careers for oh, the gosh. next to the end of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there are a handful of us, a good number of us that want to ensure that that is replenished. And uh, it's good to see industry heads, companies, organizations really take that seriously and take that head on just because we pay the bulk of conservation. And I don't know if it's a selfish thing to say that we should be the primary funders of that because we do so much and, and don't get the, I mean, we as in the industry do a lot. And I think people don't get the proper acknowledgement. Um, some people are starting to realize that like, oh, hunters and anglers pay the huge lion's share of conservation funding. And it's like, yeah, you guys didn't know that. Like, it's just yeah, the Robertson Pittman Act yeah, yeah. and all of that. I mean, people are just so unaware of even what that is. And yeah. getting that word out is important. I think I've posted about it a handful of times, and people are like, oh, what is this? <laughs> well, every time you buy something at the store that's got that's camo or a gun, a portion of that goes to conservation. Yeah, yeah. I think it's 11% on most firearms and then 10% on some other collected goods. I forget the exact breakdown because they divide handguns versus shotguns differently, rifles yep. differently. Uh, it's like 10 to 11% for both of those. I forget. I think handguns, it's 10%. Shotguns, it's 11 I could be mistaken, but I'll correct the record if I'm, if I'm mistaken there. But yeah, so much of it goes in there, and it's important to educate, and all of us have to use our platforms to do that uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Why don't you Absolutely. talk— yeah. Why don't you talk about winning a Poma Pinnacle Award? We share that in common. You got yours for the category of broadcasting. How did that feel? And talk about uh, perhaps the benefits you've enjoyed from Poma. And if you're still a member, if you're uh, enjoying what they have to offer. So kind of share about that experience and what it was like to win that award, the prestigious uh, award. I was super stoked. I mean, I put, I just submitted it. I think I submitted two different things. I put it in a, there's several different categories at, under Palma, which is the Professional Outdoor Media Association, um, and they do an awards every year. And I think I put in, like I said, uh, for an artistic one, a chainsaw carving. Didn't win that one, <laughs> but I also put in put in a video. Uh, I did win that award, and it was I was uh, surprised and shocked when they called my name. And holy cow, I don't know. When you won, uh, did you get like this rock for a plaque? <laughs> I did. I got the plaque as well. And they are discontinuing it, they told what? me. Oh, that's yeah. so, out, of, out of all the little plaques and stuff I've got, that is the most, um, it's got the most substance to it. Like if that falls off my shelf, it's going to break something for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was really excited. It was a video for, um, I believe it was an archery video talking about target panic um, and how to get around target panic and some exercises you can do to overcome that. What was your, uh, what was your video about or. Oh, I wrote about the grizzly bear situation out West for mm-hmm. was it sporting classics when I wrote for them and I spoke to firsthand account witnesses and it won the 
conservation prize. So I think they found it compelling enough <laughs> to warrant an award. So yeah, writing kind of on the writing dynamic. It was cool to, I was kind of in disbelief because I was an associate member at the time. Now I'm a voting member. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was just crazy. Kind of like you, I, I felt, I was like, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> are, you sure like you, are they sure they read that paper, yeah, right? It's got my yeah, name on it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, yeah, I bet you, you and I had the same feelings when we, we learned that we were not nominated and subsequently won those awards. It's a really good group. And I just love, you know, I was parsing through organizations to join and there are many good groups out there, but I just noticed kind of a deficit of like younger people, uh, opportunities that are more at your disposal and POMA kind of just stuck out for me. Was it the same for you when you chose them as a membership organization to join? Yeah. Um, so funny story. I actually ran into Kevin Orthman who was on the board at the time. And, um, who is taking off to Japan oh. <laughs> to live on the other side of the world. Um, I just happened to speak to him uh, on a plane to SHOT Show. I couldn't understand anything he was saying on the plane except POMA. So I got his contact when I, as soon as I got off the plane and looked up POMA because that was the only thing, like I said, I could understand or make out he, what he was saying uh, because of all the noise on the plane. And we stayed in contact. I became a member, became, got involved. Involved, and that was uh, that's my POMA spiel. It's been a great organization, and everybody that I've come in contact with that's looking to further their career in the outdoor industry or find contacts or find more work, I push them there. And everybody so far that has joined because of that, they no regrets, not even one letter. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yeah, their their list their list of uh, job opportunities is really good i hope they offer more remote ones in the future i'm I'm thinking they're going to with the especially how uh employment is shifting especially when we get this horrific you know coronavirus um but yeah it it does a good job of listing opportunities that kind of match people's needs and you can't go wrong with their offerings yeah and another great point that i thought was super beneficial to palma is that they have these conferences every year i don't know if we're going to have ours this year because of nashville yeah, over in Nash Vegas, uh, is you get a lot of these people that you don't get to talk to at SHOT Show because SHOT Show is a zoo and there's no time for anything except for coffee and meeting after meeting after meeting. And <laughs> and a lot of the people that go to SHOT Show are at, at the POMA events and you can actually have deep conversations with them and flesh out cool content ideas or whatever it may be. And uh, their seminars are are great too. I've learned a lot from those that they have at the conferences. So overall, great experience with Poma. Um, I don't, I'm going to say this on the radio. I need to put in my new membership today. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think that mine just expired this week. So oh. um, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't renew it. <laughs> Understood. Understood. Yeah. Do you have any parting thoughts uh, for our listeners? And do you want to include links where people can connect with you? Oh, for sure. Um, all my social media handles are under AC Outdoors. Don't hesitate to message me if you want to chat about something or have a question about the outdoor industry. And I guess my parting thought would be stay authentic, be you, um, and don't be afraid to be you because that's what's going to get you the furthest in life. Awesome. Those are excellent words. Abby, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And I hope at some point we get to connect, whether it is 
at Poma if things go to plan uh, sometime in mid-June, or hopefully if I can bring you down to Headwaters on the Soqui uh, in the fall or, or sometime afterwards. But it's been a joy to have you on, and I look forward to hopefully connecting one day. Well, thank you so much. I look forward to it as well. I hope our interview with Abby left you inspired and interested in learning how to navigate the outdoor industry or just find ways to spend more time outdoors in wake of this coronavirus. Make sure you are following District of Conservation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss guest announcements, topic discussions, and other interesting updates. You can find us on basically every single podcasting platform available. My preferred platform is Apple Podcasts, but we host this on Anchor.fm. We're also on Google Play, Spotify, and many, many others out there. But if you feel inclined and you have Apple Podcasts, I ask that you subscribe to the link, download episodes, share the links, and if you can, leave us a review. That goes a long way in helping us reach more people, and it can help us climb the wilderness charts on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for our future upcoming interview installments. Have a good week. Bye.